Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 231 uh, as we begin to approach places of real significance. We are approaching legends here, different kinds of legends, of course, uh, as we will be introduced. We're going to get uh, Gandalf is going to get his first official Pippin moment. He's had a few Pippin moments already in Rivendell, of course. Um, but at that point, Pippin was a problem, but not yet officially Gandalf's problem, right? Now, Pippin is officially Gandalf's problem, and we'll see the first such instance. Uh, and then, of course, we'll get Gimli's first big speech uh, in uh, the entire book. So, um, anyway, before I go, just a quick reminder, we are headed to Mythmoot very soon. In fact, you can't see the rest of my room, but I'm completely surrounded with, uh, like, cables and all of, like, <laughs> all kinds of things. I've been doing tech checks. We've um, uh, purchased our own, because we're doing all of our Moots uh, hybrid, and we want to be able to rely on the technology, we've purchased a lot of uh, equipment for this year. We've been I've been carrying it around with me to the regional Moots, and we've gotten a couple extra sets for Mythmoot. So today I've been... Um, uh, just testing the setups, making sure everything's working. I've been unboxing. I've got a pile of like packaging, like knee deep in my office over there. So anyway, it's uh, it's crazy. But um, so I'm trying to. I think I can have class here without knocking anything over. Um, but um, anyhow, very excited uh, to get down to Mythmoot, getting ready to load up the car. Uh, and head south. And uh, for those of you who would still like to join us, there's still plenty of time to join Moot Hub. So Moot Hub is our virtual option at MythMoot, and we go pretty far out of our way to involve um, the folks who are participating uh, remotely uh, as much as we can. Uh, not only do you get to see the uh, recorded session, the, the sessions, like the the, the official panels uh, and all that kind of thing. Um, but we even try to involve our remote folks in as many of the uh, the sort of less official parts, uh, like dance lessons and, uh, uh, and all that kind of thing. Um, I think, I can't even remember. Did they have me doing a karate lesson again this year? They might. Uh, if, so, I'll, if so, I'll do that with the hybrid folks as well. So anyway, um, there's uh, all kinds of stuff going on. It's always a really a really great time. And of course, also by being on Moot Hub, you also get to be in our... We have a, uh, we have a Slack instance that we set up for all of MythMoot. And both the remote and the on-site people are involved, uh, are able to be in that. So that's a, a place where a lot of conversation happens. It's been fun. Actually, we've just opened that uh, a couple days ago here. Uh, so it's been fun uh, catching up with folks, starting to catch up with folks already uh, in advance as we get ready. Um, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, let's get your rights. The reenactment of the last time I broke a finger. Um, I did have a broken finger at Mythmood a couple years ago. Uh, it's all... It's, it's all good. I'm used to having injured digits down at Mythmoot. It's all fine. It doesn't stop me from dancing. That's all. Um, but um, 
uh, anyway, so <laughs> so it's um, uh, it should be um, it it it'll be it'll be great fun. So as I say, you can still be very much connected, uh, not just with other people who are attending remotely, but with the whole group. Um, obviously, it's you know attending remotely is not the same experience, and there are some you know we we can't take you guys with us everywhere we go. Um, and but uh, but there are a bunch of things that we are able to do, and I've been really happy with that. And it's been growing over the course of this year. We've been um, last MythMoot was our first attempt to do a fully hybrid MythMoot, uh, and uh, we've been refining our technique for the year uh, through the year since at our regional moots, and are ready to come back at MythMoot again uh, this year. Uh, so anyway, that's um uh, that's. I just saw. So I, I want. I, oh, the other thing I wanted to mention about Mood Hub, which is very important, uh, is that if you sign up for Mood Hub, so we do record all of our panel sessions. We don't record the like. There won't be a recording of the dance lessons. Um, that's mostly out of mercy uh, to the participants. But um, uh, we do, we don't we don't record everything. But we record the panels, all the talks, and uh, and uh, all the talks and papers and presentations and everything. So. Um, uh, and those are available as an archive uh, to everybody who registers for MythMoot, whether you register remotely or in person. And this has been such a blessing. Um, it's been such a blessing uh, since we started doing it. I remember the old days before we were hybrid, that is, every year before last year. It was always, it was always such a strain because, of course, we're running like three panels at once, right? And I'm always like, which one do I attend? Oh, no, I want to see them all, you know, and, uh, and, you know, really hating to miss other ones and having to make horrid decisions. Well, I still can only be in one place. But at least I know there's going to be archived recordings, so I don't have to miss uh, everything. And everybody, again, everybody gets access to the archived recordings um, on Moot Hub and on um, and those who are on site. So that is another benefit, uh, getting access to those recordings, which will not be available in any other way. Like there's um, you. Um, if you want access to the recordings, you can't get them after the fact. You have to register uh, for the event. That those are like the terms with which we have agreed with our participants, um, that everybody who attends, both remotely and uh, uh, and on site, will get access uh, to those things, but we won't share them with anybody else and we won't sell them after the fact. So um, anyway, that is um, uh, that's how that works. So I encourage folks to uh, sign up for Mood Hub. It's a great opportunity. It's seventy five dollars for the whole weekend, the whole three and a half days. Uh, so it's pretty reasonable. Um, and, uh, we will love to see you involved in things. Um, uh, okay. So that is what is coming and that is next week. So that also reminds me to tell you, I won't be able to broadcast next week. Uh, next week I'll be packing up and headed, I'm heading down early. Um, so I can get to help, uh, put all of these cables plugged into the right things <laughs> down there in DC and everything, get everything all set. So um, I'll be going down a little bit early uh, next week. So um, I won't be able to be here next Tuesday night, but I will be back the week after that. So, all right, let us go back. So you remember we intrepidly did the first paragraph or at least parts of the first paragraph uh, of this slide last time. Gandalf stood at Frodo's side and looked out under his hand. We have done well, he said. We have reached the borders of the country that men call Holland. 
Many elves lived here in happier days, when Eregion was its name. Five and forty leagues as the crow flies we have come, though many long miles further our feet have walked. The land and weather will be milder now, but perhaps all the more dangerous. Dangerous or not, a real sunrise is mighty welcome, said Frodo, throwing back his hood and letting the morning light fall on his face. And that's the element that we were really focusing on last time, the welcomeness of the sunrise, that image of Frodo throwing back his hood and letting the morning light fall on his face. Remember, we were comparing and contrasting with Gollum shaking his bony fist at the yellow face, right? Um, and uh, this all seems to um, uh, have, seems to say some um, good things, right, about Frodo and where Frodo is here at this moment. Um, however, in getting to that second paragraph, <clears throat> there are some things that we kind of skimmed past there in the first paragraph that I want to stop and go back to a little bit. Um, and that is the location, right? We didn't talk much about Holland. Um, we talked about it in as much as it was being set up in the previous passage, right? Just in the paragraph before. Uh, the ridge that they're on, which has the, the, the trees like a crown upon it, right? And then we get the description of the crown of trees, um, all shining and uh, glowing like gems and things. Um, but um, yes, we did get some uh, about Holland and the Council of Elrond and some, Jackie, back in um, Shadow of the Past as well. Um, Eregion uh, was he meant Gandalf mentioned Eregion and said that the rings of power were made in Eregion, right? That was something that was revealed to Frodo back in chapter two, though the geography of that was probably not Frodo's number one focus at the time, right? Um, notice what interests me though is Gandalf's emphasis, right? Um, many elves lived here in happier days when Eregion was its name. Um, the relevance of this particular geographical spot to their journey is pretty significant, right? I mean, they are entering the land which was the epicenter of rings of power, right? Um, and rather than drawing any attention to that, right, you know, Gandalf could say something ominous here, right? Like, and now we approach the place where it all began, right? Um, where, you know, where things went wrong, you know, where that, where the, I mean, that could be, right? He could, have, he could have gone there, right, when he was introducing this. Instead, many elves lived here in happier days, when Eregion was its name. Um, and happier days, truly, there were very, very many very happy days before the coming of Anatar here, right? Um, I mean, it's, um, it's when the Noldor, so the Noldor settled here, we're told that Eregion was the only kingdom of the Noldor, you know, where like, which was like predominantly Noldor, um, in Middle-earth in the Second Age. And that means that a very large percentage of the Noldor who stayed, who did not return to Elvenholm at the end of the First Age, a large percentage of them lived here in Eregion. Um, and when they did, the circumstances under which they stayed was after the downfall of Morgoth, right? When the shadow in the north was finally removed and the elves thought that evil had vanished from the world. They thought 
that would now it was time. Um, why stay in Middle Earth? Well, because now you can stay in Middle Earth and help to make Middle Earth the paradise that it was meant to be, right? Without Morgoth. Now, of course, we know that's going to break down, right? Um, that's going to break. You know, you know, it's it's, it's not going to pan out like that. Um, but that that was the perspective among the elves, it, you know, at least for the first few centuries, right, of, uh, of, of the settlement there, um, seems very likely, right? Um, and so Gandalf is right to remember, um, to remember happier days. Arden Crayon, that's an interesting question. Is Holland the least forested place elves have ever settled? Um, well, there are some elves in the Silmarillion who don't really settle in wooded places, specifically wooded places. I'm thinking of um, the March of Mithros, for instance, um, Hithlum in general. Um, I mean, there are trees there, but yeah, as Silk Westcott says, it was more forested back then. So it's kind of hard to find a big patch of Middle Earth that's not really forested, but this rough rocky terrain that we're seeing here is a pretty good candidate, actually. Um, yep, Tumladen didn't appear to be forested, though they must have had timber, um, because they would have need of wood, right? So presumably they had access to some kind of timber there. Um, exactly. Gildalawin urges us to remember the squirrel. That's exactly right. Uh, um, Elrond's squirrel, of course, who could go from tree to tree, um, you know, across the whole continent. Um yeah, so um so yes, the the primary non like non-woodland elves um well, non-woodland elves there's a difference between living in a country that has a lot of trees in it and being a woodland people, I think, right? Um I mean the green elves are just kind of they just kind of they're just kind of different, for instance, in the Silmarillion. Um they're different in a few ways. Um from the Noldor, even though, um, even Noldor, who lived in forests and stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, so, okay, yeah. But I do think it's interesting. Um, I... It's going to come relevant, actually, when um, Legolas speaks his piece about the elves of this land. But we'll wait till we get there. Okay, anyway. Um, so, back when Eregion was the name of this place, let's, we're remembering the happy days, right? Which were the majority, right? I mean, Eregion didn't end well. Um, they, had a, they had some bad times, right, when Sauron invaded and started slaughtering people. That was no fun for anyone. Um, but, um, but, you know, that was really the minority of the time. Uh, most of the time, Regian was a happy place. Um, and again, it's just, it's fascinating to me that that's where he, it's, it's, I almost want to accuse Gandalf of burying the lead here, right? Like it's, it's, Eregion uh, is famous, but it's famous for one place. And, for one thing, right? And that thing is not happiness, right? Um, so it is interesting that it... Um, um, yeah, you're right, JJ. Sauron and the orcs probably were having fun, uh, to be fair. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so, okay. Um, they've gone five and forty leagues as the crow flies. 
Uh, Though many long miles further our feet have walked, the land and weather will be milder now, but perhaps all the more dangerous. So he ends with this sort of cautionary note, right? But it seems, if you look at the overall shape of what Gandalf is saying here, the trend is positive, right? We have reached the borders of the country that men call Holland. Um, Translation. Simplest translation. Hey, we're getting somewhere, right? It's almost like Gandalf saying, I know it feels like we've been creeping along like snails, right? I I get that, but we've made progress. Like, we've gotten somewhere. And the place that we've gotten is this place that men call Holland. Uh, Many elves used to live here. And then now I'm going to tell you a happy thing, right? Not only have we gotten somewhere, Right? We're not just going around in circles in the wilderness, following no path that you can tell, and sometimes like finding ourselves at cliffs and swamps, as the narrator was pointing out. But, um, but the place that we've got come to, what's more, is a happy place. In fact, it's an elf place. Right? Called a Regian. Don't worry about anything else that happened here. Just happy elf place. That's where we are. Right? And by the way, just in case you have again been feeling like a snail, we've actually. Come, come pretty far, right? We've come five and 40 leagues as the crow flies. So we've, we've moved a significant way down the map that you may or may not remember looking at in Rivendell, right? But I'm going to also acknowledge how many long miles further our feet have walked, right? So even though, you know, we've, we've walked even further than this. So we've accomplished a great deal, right? I acknowledge that we've, you know, I, I want you to know, to feel good, about what we've done, right? Oh, and by the way, the land and the weather will be milder now, right? So that uh, the searching fingers of that freezing cold wind, yeah, it's going to drop off probably from now on, right? Um, we shouldn't have. It's going to be. Uh, it should be that 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 should be on the upswing, right? Temperature will be on the upswing. Um, also, the land is not going to be as bad, right? It's been really rough and hard going. Um, But uh, yeah, so uh, dreariness is going to be on the decline. The hardness of the terrain is going to be on the decline. Um, You know, things are really, things are really looking up, right? I mean, that's, I mean, you see that, that overall trend, right? I mean, everything he says is essentially not only itself a cheerful and encouraging thing, but even sort of said, like, he really chooses to emphasize the cheerful things, right? And then at the end, but perhaps all the more dangerous, right? So he does have to add um, a caution there, right? Um, But perhaps all the more dangerous, right? But uh, obviously, although I'm encouraging you, you, we can't let down our guard, right? I mean, I don't know if that directly translates to, so stop pestering me for a cook fire, you know, during during our daily stops because it it ain't happening or what. Um, But... um, uh, but in any case, it's more... Da- so, the land and weather will be milder now, but perhaps all the more dangerous. Both land and weather will be perhaps more dangerous, because, of course, if it's going to be easier going on them, it's also going to be easier going on whatever spies Sauron is using, right? Um, the unspecified spies, whom apparently we've been concerned about um, all the way through... Um, but um, so, yes, yeah, so he does provide that final warning. I think this this feels in many ways like a very um, um, a very Gandalfian kind of 
statement, right? Um, but it's not all. It's not all caution. There's just the final note of caution um, after a whole pretty fat speech full of encouragement and um, um, well, hope and encouragement. I guess I can say. Um, Yes, exactly. The party can't hide in the mists if the weather clears, uh, Vardendo. You're you're right, and um, and of course this is something. This is going to be a theme all the way through, right? Just as the milder, you know, more kindly land and weather, um, which seems friendlier and nicer, is going to make it harder for them. So too, if you remember ahead, the very darkness of the enemy is going to conceal them later on. Right. Um, So the things that that Sauron will do to make things awful for everybody is also going to help them. Right. It's going to be awful for them, but it will also be helpful for them as well. Right. So we can see that that kind of irony is true all the way back here as well. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fair is foul and foul is fair. Yeah, sort of. Sort of. I, I don't know. I don't know, I'd go full Macbeth on it, but um, um, uh, it's it's a little bit like the variation of that, right? Um, like it's gonna, it's gonna, I don't know, it's gonna look fair but be foul, right? And not exactly, but um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, when things look easy and pleasant and nice most of the time, is going to be when there's a lot of danger, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Then we get Frodo's response to that. Um, And the last thing I want to hit on on Frodo's response there is the segue, which we were kind of leaving behind because we'd skipped over most of that first paragraph. Dangerous or not, a real sunrise is mighty welcome. So Frodo's welcome to the sunrise and that what feels like a really important sort of symbolic gesture of throwing back his hood and letting the morning light fall on his face. Um, and we were looking at the alliteration of that phrase and stuff, which is so delightful. Um, but dangerous or not, right? Um, he's not disregarding Gandalf's warning, right? He's not rejecting Gandalf's warning, but dangerous or not, the sunrise is welcome, right? Um, he is, willing to take the peril associated with the sun and with milder land and weather, right? Um, this is a blessing to them, even though it brings danger. It's okay. It's okay. He is um, ready to accept, um, ready to accept that danger. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, now to Pippin. But the mountains are ahead of us, said Pippin. We must have turned eastwards in the night. No, said Gandalf, but you see further ahead in the clear light. Beyond those peaks, the range bends round southwest. There are many maps in Elrond's house, but I suppose you never thought to look at them. Yes, I did, sometimes, said Pippin, but I don't remember them. Frodo has a better head for that sort of thing. So, my main question is, why do we get this passage at all, right? Now, it seems to serve a simple function, which is to help prevent us being confused. If we're trying to picture this in our heads, right, as we go, um, we were talking about that um, 
line in the previous paragraph where the mountains were standing across their path. We were looking at the sort of personification of the of the mountains, right? As if the mountains themselves are are sort of like jumping out to try to block them uh, in their trip south. Um, but um, so yes, it certainly um, serves as exposition, Silk Westcott, in that way. Um, that um, it but but the primary it's not exactly plot exposition so much as it is helping our own visualization of things right um helping us to picture what they're seeing but i guess there are a couple things i'm trying to sort of touch on here one is i think it's very clear that visualization matters a lot to tolkien um and there are a whole bunch of passages in the Lord of the Rings which suddenly made a great deal more sense to me um, once I discovered that Tolkien was a painter, right? Um, when I first saw Tolkien's paintings, um, it explained a lot about some of these passages, some of the passages people complain about, right? All this landscape description, right? I think very often Tolkien is simply trying to capture... He's got a picture in his head, Right? He's got a, a painter's picture in his head of the place where they are, the area where they are, right? And he tries to capture that in words as he would try to capture it with paint. Um, and indeed, there are even a few examples. Um, there are even a few examples where we can see him um, doing both, right? Where we, we see a, a scene that he has described and also painted, Right. Um, and where I th- where basically what I'm pretty convinced that he's doing is that he is. He, where, the places where he has actually painted the scene that he had in his head, I believe that that painter's imagination is really was it was really primary uh, for Tolkien. Um, I do not think um, people talk about him doing illustrations of his story like you know in the hobbit the hobbit has illustrations by tolkien and like technically that's true but i don't think it actually is i don't think that he was illustrating the story as if like the story itself came first and then he was like okay i'm going to paint a picture sometimes illustrations are adaptations of the text right you start with the text and then you're 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 trying to draw out of the text um you know th- look at the details in the text and, and draw out from that and do a visual adaptation, right, of the image. That's what we see when you're looking at things like Ted Naismith's wonderful Silmarillion paintings, right, or um, some of the work of other, uh, you know, famous Tolkien artists. Um, those people are all doing adaptation, like people who make movies, except it's different, right? Just doing a, a, a painting, it's still an adaptation with some still some similar kinds of things that are going on there, right? Um Tolkien was not adapting. I don't believe that in most cases, Tolkien was um, uh, Tolkien was adapting his text. I think that what he was doing was trying to capture through paints the same thing that he was trying to capture through words. Do you see the difference that I mean? Right. The primary thing was not the text, which then had to be adapted. The primary thing was that mental picture that Tolkien had. Right. And he's already tried once to capture it in words, and now he's going to try to capture the same thing in paints, right? And I think it's one of the reasons why we get the... It's one of the reasons why we get the kinds of scenes that Tolkien gives us, right? 
um, he very rarely tries to illustrate action, like a story moment, like a, a, a moment that's pivotal in the narrative itself, right? Instead, he tries to capture Bilbo in the Eyrie of the Eagles, right? He tries to capture um, the scene when Bilbo riding the barrels you know, emerges out into the calmer waters. He tries to, uh, he tries to capture Mirkwood. He tries, you know, and both in the Hobbit context and in, um, uh, and in the Silmarillion context when he's doing the same stuff with Tower Nufuin with some of his Turin paintings. Um, anyway, I, I, I think it's, um, uh, you know, when Bjorn's house, right? Uh, the Hall of the Elven King, all of these things. Uh, these are all, um, they're all they're all scenes, right? They're all things that were clearly very vivid in his own imagination, right? Um, the mountains, right? The mountain path, all of those things. Those, you know, I mean, when you go through even the uh, one of the most um, sort of action plot oriented um, illustrations that he does uh, in the Hobbit um, is the uh, the troll one. Right, the, the 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 troll fire with the trolls hiding behind the trees, right, and uh, the dwarves approaching, um, and Bilbo peeking out of the bush. Uh, that's the one of the only like pivotal story moments that's depicted, like story moment as opposed to just scene, right, landscape. Um, but even there, uh, again, it's not a moment of action; it's the moment before the action comes, right, um, and it's. Um, uh, and it's still trying to capture that sense of the more than anything else. It seems. What do you mostly get from that painting of the trolls? You mostly get what it looked like to see the fire of the trolls in the distance as you approached it. Right, you're approaching it with the dwarves. Right, um, that initial kind of um, sort of framing of that. Uh, but. Um, um, Anyway, yeah, absolutely, JJ. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Even when the paintings are done later than the text, um, they they would have been just outpourings of the images that gave rise to the text, um, uh, rather than an adaptation of the text. That's exactly it's exactly what I'm trying to say. Um, I think that that visual imagination is the is is one of the primary things that drives Tolkien's whole creative, you know factory here. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, anyway, but I've said all that because that's not what's happening here. <laughs> Do you notice that? What's happening here? In his in the scene, the discussion with Gandalf and Pippin, he's trying to get us to picture something, but it's not the landscape. He gave us that in the previous paragraph, right? With that... Um, that image of, I think that's, that's exactly what we were getting when we were getting that description of Karathras standing up like a tooth with the, the light shining red on it, right? All of that, like that's one of those painter's images, right? That he has this mental picture that he has of what these mountains look like and the effect that the mount, that the sight of those mountains inspire, right? Again, that's, it's that kind of effect that I think that he's often trying to capture when he's painting, right? Um, he wants you when you see, um, you know, this hall or this forest or this, um, you know, whatever, whatever vista it is. He wants you to, you know, feel what he's feeling, 
you know, when he's looking at it or thinking about it. Um, but what he's doing here, I think it's, it is a setup for Gimli's lines. That's right. But I don't think we needed these for Gimli's lines exactly. Um, we already had the description of the mountain standing up, right? The Fang Mountain, the Tooth Mountain, um, that we got the description of. That would have been enough of a setup for somebody to be like, hey, what's that mountain? And Gimli to be like, let me tell you, right? Um, that would have been enough to cue Gimli. But what this does is enable us to picture not the landscape, but the map, right? That's where the confusion lies. This is why Gandalf explicitly alludes to the map, right? He's not trying to orient anybody into what they're seeing around them. They're all looking at the mountains. And he described it, that the mountains turned, right? And that now the mountains had come across their path, right? Um, everybody knows what direction south still is, right? Or at least most of them seem to. You can tell on account of the description of how the wind turned around to the south, right? And now it's a south wind. So now the wind is coming from the south and they're walking straight into the wind, right? But Pippin gets a little confused. But the mountains are ahead of us. We must have turned eastwards in the night, right? And think, by the way, just for a moment of the sort of, um, I don't know what... Um, spiritual significance, in a sense, of this, right? No, no, this is not the east wind. This is the south wind. This wind is not coming from the east. This is not that hostile, um, painful wind, right? The searching wind uh, that was probing inside your clothes and not allowing you to rest, right? This isn't that wind. This is a new wind, right? This is a different wind. This is a warm wind, right? Come on, Pippin, any fool would know that this is not the east wind, that we're walking into anymore. So no, of course we haven't turned eastwards in the night, right? But it's possible, of course, that when you're reading this book, you flipped past the map at the very beginning. Um, and you might not have looked back at it, right? And Tolkien cared about his map very much. Tolkien loved his map and used his map very carefully, even measured his map to scale. Um, uh, he was, you know, the the sort of scale rendering of his map was one of the things that he used to calculate, like, how long, you know, how many days it would take them to go from one place to another on the map. Um, he, he sort of used the map to that level of, um, of detail. Um, and uh, so here, this seems, you know, what use does this exposition do? What, what, what function does this exposition serve? It serves to remind us, either those of us who, um, you know, didn't notice the map, right, skipped right past the map, or those of us who have, are threatening to forget the map, we know that the mountains have been marching on their eastern side. That's been emphasized a couple times, right? So wait, how is it that the mountains came around? Is it, does, uh, you know, and then Gandalf is going to explain, right? No, you see further ahead in the clear light, beyond the, those peaks, the range bends round southwest. Um, so now you can picture where we are on the map. And if we look at the map, it's interesting because it's not dramatic, right? It's right here. So I'm looking at the map right here in the middle. You can see not exactly a bend, in the mountain, but a kind of offshoot, 
right? This sort of offshoot here, right above where it's labeled Oregian, so it's right at the northern border of Oregian, I think that this one little mountain sticking off on the left-hand side of the Misty Mountain Range has got to be, um, you know, sort of where they're looking. There's Karathras, the tall one there in the middle, right? Um, the one that's sticking up like a fan, I assume it's one of those. These are the, these are, this is Moria Gate here. So those are presumably something like the three mountains. Um, yes, Tolkien did have several working sketch maps in his notes. Absolutely. Um, yes, yes. Um, yes. Oh, praise, you're absolutely right, thinking ahead to the lament for Boromir and the significance of the south wind, right? Yeah, where the, where the wind is coming from clearly matters, right? Um, definitely, definitely matters. Do I think Elrond had the same map that we have? Um, I think that Elrond had many maps. Um, I don't think Elrond had the same map that we do. Um, that's actually, I think, a point of fairly significant interest. Um, how our map differs from the maps that they would have had. I'm not really sure. Um, I say that because I think that there is a fair reason to believe that no single map, even in Rivendell, um, no single map, even in Rivendell, would have um, had everything on it that this map has, right? Um, that it not only has all of this detail about, like... I mean, for instance, look, the Brandywine Bridge, really? I think Elrond's maps had Brandywine Bridge on them? Do you think Elrond's maps had Dol Amroth and Doran Ernil on them? Maybe the rivers, right? Maybe the Gilrhine and the Ringlow and, you know, the different rivers of Gondor. That's, that's possible, right? Um... But you know the 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 crossings of Poros down here in South Athelion. You think maybe? I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible. There might have been a detailed Gondorian map from back in the day that would have included some of these things there, right? But a whole map containing all of these things. Um, I don't know. Now again, it's not that he couldn't have. Trifle, I know that Dal Amroth is old. Um, but um, how many detailed maps of Gondor does he have, and how old are they, right? Um, and again, but and was there any single map that would have had all of these things? Fornost, the Chetwood, right? Sarn Ford, um, Esgaroth, the Brownlands. I mean, you just look at all of these things, right? And I'm not, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. Yeah, I agree. That's exactly it, Trifle. I think that the map that we're looking at is a Fourth Age map. Um, the map with the Red Book. E exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, again, it's not that any of these things are so obscure that, they're, that like, we should believe that, um, that Elrond has never heard of them. Right? I'm not, my argument is not from ignorance, from Elrond's ignorance. My point is... I, I do believe that this is a Fourth Age map. Um, notice that there are, there are timestamps on this map, several timestamps on this map, 
right, if we, if we notice them. Like timestamp number one. Notice South Gondor, parentheses, now a debatable land. Now, when? When is now? Right? When is now exactly? Uh, look up here. Here was of old the witch realm of Angmar. Of old. Okay. There's another timestamp, right? The Hobbit names for things. Hobbiton, Brandywine Bridge. Right? Baranduin, parentheses, Brandywine. Um, that's another timestamp, right? So it obviously has to be after and probably significantly after the beginning of the Shire, right? Um, anyway, there's... Um, uh, uh, and it has to be well after the establishment of the Shire in order for it to be... for Angmar to be of old, right? Um, anyway, so I think that there's... Um, uh, yeah, also, and I, and I, I, there, but there are some other kind of indications that are interesting as well. Like, for instance, notice that the Entwash is in parentheses as well. Um, uh, the Onodlo is what the river is called on the map. The Onodlo, nobody ever calls it that in the Lord of the Rings, right? Um, uh, I mean, we can see that that means Entwash, right? But uh, anyway, so there are lots of really, I, I think there are lots of really interesting things uh, that we can that we can see there, and the um, uh, the kind of preferential treatment for things that are were of significance in this story, right? Um, really does make it feel like a composite map that is made up presumably from multiple maps, right? Um, Arnor stuff from maps that Elrond had. I bet you they used Gondorian sources for the Gondor for the Gondor and Rohan maps. Um, um, who knows what they used for the Rovanian maps? Maybe Elrond has some of those. Maybe they got some from the uh, dwarves or even from the wood elves. Um, I don't know. Uh, but um, but anyway, yeah, I'm I'm I think that the map itself is pretty is pretty interesting. Um, we get uh, okay, yeah, we do get a numinous on the map there, hills of Eve, of uh, uh, what even huh evendium. There's a U in there. I never noticed that. I ever craned my head at the angle that you need to do. It says Lake Evendim by Nanuial. Right, but then if you notice the hills, hills of Evendium. There's an I-U-M there at the end of that. I've never noticed that in my live-long days. What is that about? Hills of Evendium? I know Evendim is what I was looking for, too, but there's clearly a U there. Between the I and the M. Evendium. Fascinating. Is that is it a mistake? Um, a mistake or an old, maybe a, an old draft. Huh. Really interesting. Um, yeah, Evendium does sound like a Roman camp, Arden Crayon. You're right. You're right. Um, but, um, anyway. Okay. Uh, getting a little distracted by the map now. Um, so there, see, at least... Um, we can say that we have spent some time looking at the maps. 
Um, is there a volume where Christopher discusses the map? Yeah, he does. He discusses the map off and on throughout uh, the history of the Lord of the Rings. I will confess that when we read through um, the history of the Lord of the Rings, the Return of the Shadow, Treason of Isengard, and War of the Ring um, in Mythgard Academy, I kind of skimmed over the map chapters, not going to lie. Um, I, I was uh, um, rather brusque in my treatment of the... Um, uh, of the map evolution stuff there. Yeah, me and Pippin both, Heir of Numenor, it's exactly right. It's exactly right. Um, so, um, so yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty. I, I totally Pippin'd the maps uh, when we went through. Um, but he does. He does talk about it um, off and on. He'll do whole chapters at a time um, about, like, meanwhile, like, here's how the map was developing. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, so there's an extra R in Dimril Dale, too. Oh, you're right. Drimril Dale. Look at that. I never noticed that either. Oh, my goodness. That's got to be a mistake. Drimril Dale? Huh. Huh. Fascinating. Yeah, that's got to be a mistake. Or an old iteration. Yeah, I'm trying to decide. I'm trying. Praise this. Why I'm trying to remember if I've ever seen Drimril anywhere. Like if it is an older version. I mean, we'd maybe have to go to like those map chapters that I pippened. But um, oh, that's really interesting. I never noticed that either. Look, I've just been l- glancing past all kinds of things on this map. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, this is clear. This can't be a second age map. This is clearly a late third age, early fourth age map. No question. Um, yeah. Well, see, look. Gandalf told us to look at the map. We're looking at the map. What can I say? Um, okay. Back to Pippin. Um,. So again, if you've if you didn't look at the map, you might be confused. And so Gandalf explains. But guess what? If you did look at the map, you still might be confused because you might have looked at the map and said, "I don't I don't remember where it curves west." I mean, it, it kind of sort of heads in I mean, it's not exactly north-south. I mean, the southern half of the Misty Mountains are are, you know, going down in a vaguely southwesterly direction. It's not straight north and south, right? Um, but it doesn't exactly pivot either, right? You just, we just get this one little sticky out bit, right, on the side of the map. Um, but again, Gandalf has explained. So our vision of the landscape and the map are clarified, whether or not we have, whether we've studied the map carefully or, um, uh, or study, or or not study the map carefully. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Scottimus Prime. Yes, you've caught up uh, just in time for a map digression. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah, sticky out bit, Kurtzimus. That's the. Uh, sorry, I shouldn't use technical language like that. But, um, uh, but, but yeah, I, that's that's what uh, that's what we see going on there. Um, uh, okay. Um, now, 
Gandalf's teasing of Pippin at the end. There are many maps in Elrond's house, but I suppose you never thought to look at them? Question mark. Now, notice he ends with a question mark. Um, that is, it's not just... By ending his statement with a question mark, he's not just putting Pippin down. He's setting Pippin up, right? But I suppose you never thought to look at them? He says, interrogatively, inviting a response. And of course, Pippin will give a response, probably, whether invited or not, right? And when you invite him, he's certainly going to give a response. Yes, I did sometimes, but I don't remember them. Um, so he responds to Gandalf's uh, implied slight um, by, you know, he, so Gandalf sets it up and then Pippin spikes it against himself, right? I mean, notice that the humor is completely directed against himself, right? Of course I looked at the maps, but I don't remember them. Um, he is being playful with Gandalf, not by insulting Gandalf, but by insulting himself, right? Um, and that's... Um, uh, a, an interesting example of hobbitry that we see going on here, right? Um, one of the things that I'm going to... And Pippin, of course, is going to be one of our primary test subjects for this examination, but one of the things that I'm going to be really interested to be looking at is how... how they do... how the hobbits do direct hobbitry back to Gandalf. Gandalf is a pro at the whole hobbitry bantry... banter thing. Bantry. Banter thing, right? Um... And he can be very insulting in his hobbitry, right? But the hobbits never seem to insult Gandalf. Did you ever notice that? Um, they never insult Gandalf. Even Pippin doesn't insult Gandalf. I mean, think about the way that this tends to work, right? The way that this tends to work of... Um, uh, you know, remember like um, uh, one of my favorite... Hobbitry lines, right, is uh, the, um, you know, Lobelia says Frodo's a brandy buck, right? And, uh, and uh, you know, he says that was a compliment, if you like. And, you know, Mary says, you know, no, it was, it was, a, it was a compliment. Um, or so, no, that was an insult, if you like. And, brandy, and, and Mary says, no, that was a compliment. And therefore, of course, not true, right? That's, that's, there you go, right? Um, but, um, Nobody gives that kind of sauce to Gandalf. And I, they, they clearly do respect him, Jackie, but I don't think that respect alone, does it keep you from acting that way, right? Uh, uh, one of the things that, I'm, that I want to do here is I want to I understand the rules of hobbitry a little bit better. Right? I want to make sure that I'm doing it right. Um, and uh, yeah, he's not a hobbit. I agree. Yeah, I wonder, likely about that's a really interesting parallel. Pippin is to Gandalf as a student is to an Oxford Don. Um, yeah, possibly, possibly um, that there are. You can tease him. Um, you can banter with him. But the banter, there seem to be lines that they don't exactly cross. Trifle's asking, do you ever see the three gentry hobbits uh, 
giving insulting hobbitry to Sam. Not exactly. I don't think so. I mean, I, it seems like the rule would be something along the lines of, yeah, directing them at your peers. Insults. Like the, the affectionate insults of that kind seem only be, to be directed at your peers. Um, yes. Um, but there are ways to do it, right? So how is Pippin doing it here? What is Pippin... What is Pippin? Pippin doesn't insult Gandalf. He insults himself, right? Why? Why? Not to put himself down, right? I think this is hobbitry. What's the, what's the effect, right? The effect of, um, uh, of this piece of hobbitry. He is sort of dismissing Gandalf's advice. Yeah, he's. Um, uh, causing trouble, right? Um, and this, I, I suppose you never thought to look at them, right? Um, and the implication is, see what a nuisance you are being to me, Pippin, right? You're making me explain this to you. Now I have to do exposition, Pippin, thanks a lot, right? Um, but if you'd bothered to look at any maps, I wouldn't have had to do exposition because you would know where we are, right? In fact, like just seeing this would have shown you, told you where you, where we were, um, without anybody having to laboriously explain it to you, right? Um, uh, and Pippin first disagrees with him, and I agree, Sarah. The really important thing there is his contradiction, right? Yes, I did sometimes, right? No, no, I looked at the maps. Right, so I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna contradict what you say. I'm not just gonna be. I suppose you never thought to look at them. No, Gandalf. Sorry, Gandalf. Right, that would be the lame response. Right, that's not the plucky, Hobbit-like response. Right, the plucky Hobbit-like response is premised on the contradiction. Yes, I did, but I don't remember them. Right, um, and so the teasing of Gandalf is first the contradiction. But the contradiction, of course, although he's contradicting Gandalf, the initial trajectory of his comment is, so I'm, uh, no, see, don't worry, I'm less of a problem than you think, right? I did totally look at the maps, right? But then as soon as he sort of gives that, he then immediately takes it away, right? But I don't remember them. So actually, it's worse than you think, right? It's not just that I didn't look at maps. It's that I'm incompetent about maps, which means that uh, any hope that you wouldn't... So not only are you going to have to explain things as if I'd never seen the maps, you're going to have to explain them probably multiple times because I don't have a head for this kind of thing at all, right? So buckle up, Gandalf, and get ready for lots more exposition because I'm going to be asking you impertinent questions from here on out about our, uh, about our, uh, 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 about our trajectory here, right? Um, so, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that it's, um, and then yes, um, uh, Rolavalon, yes, uh, says, I like how he deflects the banter to compliment Frodo. Yeah, yeah, Frodo has a better head for that sort of thing. Um, and there's a really fascinating, so first you get the sort of, we get a taste of the nature of Pippin and, and Gandalf's, um, uh, interplay, right? Their relationship, how... The hobbitry is working between them. But then what I 
am hearing there in that last line, Rolavalam, I think is a really interesting thing, right? Um, Frodo has a better head for that sort of thing. I'm sure it's quite true, right? I, I don't doubt uh, uh, the veracity of, uh, of Pippin's statement. However, what's the effect of it, right? I think the effect of it is um, he's cheering up Frodo too. While he's contradicting Gandalf and he's needling Gandalf and giving Gandalf a hard time and essentially promising future hard times to come, right, uh, in his bantering response, um, he's nevertheless colluding with Gandalf in cheering up Frodo, right? keeping Frodo's spirits up. Um, the compliment to Frodo is a relevant one. Is It, it is a relevant one, right? Um, this is Frodo's journey. Frodo has a good head for maps. Don't worry, Frodo, you got this. Would be one loose way to paraphrase sort of the spirit behind that final compliment, right? Not just complimenting Frodo in, about something, right? Um, but this particular compliment to Frodo in this particular context, right? Um, yeah, oh no, Gandalf, you're in for all kinds of trouble if you think that I know where we're going or, you know, am a competent person to have along on this journey. Oh, bye. wasn't it your suggestion that I come to? <laughs> Funny how that works out. But, um, but at the same time, Frodo, he's got this, right? Fortunately for all of us, Gandalf, Frodo's got this, right? Um... And, uh, yeah, so the whole thing, right, from beginning to end, the entire conversation, I think, um, it might be a little bit reductionist to say it's all just designed to make Frodo smile, um, but I do suspect that both Pippin and Gandalf are very interested in that, right? Um, uh, I'm sure there are others in the party who have a better head for maps than Pippin, right? He didn't have to compliment Frodo, right? He could have made it a strider crack here, right? Um, but I don't remember them, right? And then he could have said something like, you know, uh, you know, fortunately, you know, old strider could find his way blindfolded. So, you know, I don't need to know, right? I mean, he, he could have gone in, in that direction, right? There are a bunch of different kinds of directions that he could... He could have made a crack uh, to Mary about getting them lost in the old forest, right? That would have been fair game for Pippin at this moment. Lots of directions he could go uh, for the sake of humor or um, teasing people with about stuff, right? Um, but instead, he compliments Frodo. Um yeah, Valor is wondering if maybe Gandalf talking pointedly about studying maps might have been very subtle praise of Frodo's skill with maps. Gandalf would know that. Gandalf and Elrond studied maps with Frodo, right? Frodo says that he was shown a map, right? You know, when he's talking about Mordor much later on. Um, so, yeah, Gandalf would, would know that very much. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, Almeria, uh, we'll get there. To the well. Um, this is not even round one with Gandalf and Pippin, right? I mean, really, the first, the first real Gandalf and Pippin moment that we get is the uh, make way for 
Frodo, Lord of the Ring, right? Gandalf has been saying many cheerful things like that, right? That was round one with Merry and with Pippin and Gandalf. Um, uh, they've been going at it, right? You know, the, somebody with intelligence in the party, right? And then Gandalf comes back at that one later on. So, you know, Pippin and Gandalf have this ongoing thing already um, in what we've seen. Um, but this one, I think, is... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Erev Numenor, I agree. It's an interesting challenge to tell the difference between Gandalf's hobbitry versus his genuine irritation. Um, I don't think the two are necessarily opposed. That is, I think that one can still engage in hobbitry while irritated, right? Um, that one can express genuine irritation um, in, uh, uh, you know, with hobbitry as the medium uh, of that. I, I think that that's, um, that that's very possible. Um yeah, yeah. Good. I agree. He, JJ says he does seem to be trying to gently correct Pippin, and Pippin is actively resisting correction. And that's exactly what, what I, where I believe, how I believe Pippin is teasing him, right? Not just by resisting correction, but by, like, flaunting the fact. Not only that he's resisting correct, but that he's, like, uncorrectable, Right? I don't remember them, right? So yeah, your your theoretical solution, right? That I should have looked at maps. That's not going to pan out, right? So uh, uh, you're in trouble now. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. I think it's um, um, yes, um, yeah. So I, let's look at Gandalf's tone. We're gonna get lots of Gandalf moments, right? Gandalf's gonna have a whole bunch of moments in this chapter. Right, um, where he um, is speaking with various levels of amusement in his voice. Right, uh, that will be highly variable over the course of the rest of this chapter. Um, keeping track of that and seeing how he talks to different people and how he seems to be working through and processing some of these things, um, I think is um, is is going to be really interesting to watch. Okay. Um, Let's look at the very opening here of Gimli's piece. I need no map, said Gimli, who had come up with Legolas and was gazing out before him with a strange light in his deep eyes. There is the land where our fathers worked of old, and we have wrought the image of those mountains into many works of metal and of stone, and into many songs and tales. They stand tall in our dreams. Baraz, Zirak, Shathur. Okay, here's Gimli's opening speech. Yeah, it, he comes up with Legolas. So we see him paired with Legolas from the beginning, right? Um, uh, <laughs> Gimli has no map. Gimli needs no map. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, we do get a, a foretaste of Legolas and Gimli, Gimli right? They're, they're not really a pair yet. Um, but it's interesting that the first time we, we really hear from Gimli, you know, he's already been walking uh, with, uh, with Legolas. Um, and Almeria, you're right, Gimli's completely not reading the room, right? Um, there, was some, there was some good banter going on, um, and Gimli comes up and just cuts through the whole thing, right? This is very serious. Um, very serious to Gimli. I need no map. There is the land where I... Listen to the cadence of Gimli's speech. 
right? There is the land where our fathers worked of old, and we have wrought the image of those mountains into many works of metal and of stone, and into many songs and tales. They stand tall in our dreams. Baraz, Zirak, Shathur. Um, I love the way in which he... This is sort of... It's There, there would have been a, several way more efficient ways to say this, right? Um, uh, but notice how he begins to lovingly start adding syllables in order to um, sort of lengthen the cadence of the sentence. We have wrought the image of those mountains into many works of metal and of stone, and into many songs and tales, right? First, you add the second preposition, which is not really needed. Many works of metal and stone would have been fine, right? Um, uh, and into many songs and tales, right? We get the now the parallel structure, right? Into many works of metal and stone, and into many songs and tales. So we got the the uh, the the balanced structure of the two things and the two things, right? Um, paralleled with the uh, with the into, right? Into many works and into many, um, yeah. So the into many into many is the is the parallel uh, force there. Um, Combining the idea of the more and and um, notice the way that those two things, those two pairs, work in parallel with each other. Right on the one hand, we get the the more dwarfy elements, right? The metal and stone, right? The works of metal and stone. Um, some of these things which are most dear to the dwarves. Um, you know, we have uh, to say we have worked them into we have uh, we have wrought the image of these of those mountains into many works of metal and stone is like saying we have we have kept them near our hearts. Right. We have uh, we have expressed our memories and our love for these mountains um, in many of our works of hands, which are extremely important to us and absolutely central to our culture and our identity. Right. Um, but also into many songs and tales, right? Um, so the metal and stone, those are enduring, right? Things carved in metal and stone are going to last for a really long time. Songs and tales are fleeting, right? Those are just words, right? Words sung and then the echoes die away, right? And you, But, of course, songs endure and tales endure too, but they need to be re-sung, right? So there's like the memories that we carve into hard things like metal and stone, right? Not into wood or something more, you know, like textiles or something else that would, uh, that would last less long. Um, but also into many songs and tales, right? Um, we do also keep the stories alive and the songs alive. What we say and what we do, it's through all of these things, Right? Um, they stand tall in our dreams. And I agree that um, um, that is just um, such a good sentence, such a good sentence, right? They stand tall in our dreams is uh, um, a really, really powerful thing. And yeah, it does. It is interesting. Jackie says it reminds her of the, the two trees for the elves. Maybe not the same level, but similar reverence. Yes. Yes. I think so. Um, let's see. Compare and contrast. The three mountains of more of Khazad-dûm and the two trees. 
the word that I want to say that feels to me different is home. On the one hand, the West is, you know, elven home is in the West. So, um, but that's always been a question about elves, hasn't it? Where is their home? Where do they belong? Did they belong here in Middle-earth? And should, ought they perhaps have stayed? Or, um, you know, is their home actually an elven home in the West? Um, but, um, uh, for the dwarves, this is their home, right? Khazad-dûm is the home of his fathers, right? Of his clan, of his people. Um, this is clearly where they belong, right? The, tree, the two trees for the elves are the memory of the bliss and glory that is lost, right? The ancient... It's the, like the pinnacle of beauty and glory in the world. And as the world declines and the fading time approaches uh, faster and faster, the memories of the time of the two trees and the stories and tales of the times of the two trees burn bright in their memories. Elves are good at memories, right? Um, but in a sense, that's why I say I keep coming back to that word home. Like it's less personal in that sense, I think, for the for the elves, um, then this seems to be, um, for, uh, for the dwarves. Um, yeah. What did dreams mean for dwarves? Uh, Connor was saying that originally he perceived dreams as memories perhaps, but then Gimli says in waking life is dreaming about their creations, a common characteristic in dwarves. I don't know if dreaming about their creations is, but apparently dreaming about Moria is, um, I only once before have I seen them from afar in waking life. And you're right, Connor, that the implication is definitely, um, is definitely that he's dreamed about them many times, possibly frequently, right? Um, he's only seen them once in waking life, right? But who knows how many times he's seen them in his dreams, right? As he just said, they stand tall in our dreams, um, which at first may sound purely figural, right? Like it's, uh, um, you know, they stand in our dreams, meaning our people think and talk about it a lot, right? Our dreams in the sense of our, like, wishes and maybe even aspirations that like maybe someday we'll be able to go back to Casa Doom and it'll be awesome. Um, and, um, uh, but his reference to waking life in that next line, Connor, I think you're exactly right. Um, suggests a perfectly literal interpretation of they stand tall in our dreams. We dream about them all the time. Right. Um, these mountains, this home of our fathers. Um, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, Belongsman. I wonder if there is a kind of blurry line between dreaming and what songs do to the listener. Maybe. Maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's possible, Cron, uh, that he's thinking about the impression left on him uh, that he did see them once in Waking Life and has been dreaming about them ever since. That's, of course, very possible. Um, that he, he has seen them, and it was clearly an important moment for him, right, uh, to have seen them before. Um, 
but they stand tall in our dreams seems to me to suggest more. Right. Um, even dwarves, presumably, who have not seen them from afar even once in waking life, um, still dream about Baraz, Zirak, and Shathur. Um, okay, we will... I'm not going to talk about the names right now. We'll come to the names next time. Um, I don't want to keep us too late here tonight. Um, we'll move on to Gimli's piece of exposition, right? Um, this is just Gimli's poetical opening, right? Um, and his, uh, his, the, the beginning of his rhetorical wind-up, right? Uh, in the second and third paragraph is when he's really going to go to town, right? Um, and start um, sharing, right? Start dwarf-splaining to us what's going on here. And uh, we'll see I, I, what exactly he's doing, what he thinks he's doing, what he's actually doing is going to be really interesting to see. Um, but um, anyway, we'll get to that in a fortnight. So uh, let we'll, we'll transition here to our field trip. Um, don't forget... Uh, those of you, so I'll say goodnight to uh, folks who are just around for the uh, for the book discussion. Don't forget that next week is Mythmoot, so won't be here next week um, on Tuesday night. Um, I will be doing a special Lotro broadcast from Mythmoot, and of course, hope that many of you can join us. Uh, if you haven't signed up yet, still time to sign up for Moot Hub uh, and join in uh, a very large percentage of the festivities down from afar. Um, so I uh, uh, hope that uh, many of you can join me there and uh, we will go back to our field trip. It'll be day two in the Yondershire, which we began exploring last time. So good evening, Valori. Good evening. How are you? Um, I'm good. I'm good. Glad to have you back with us. So um, we have uh, milestoned uh, no bottle there, so I think we can start off back there again. Okay. Um, yeah. Just raiding everyone up. Alright. Oh, yeah, I, I, I do like that I read the, the reading, the, the Gandalf Pippin um, banter again, just reminds me of all, like, of conversations that I have with my teens about stuff, like, you know, I'll say, like, you know, so where's your friend's house? Uh, I don't know. What didn't you look it up on a map? Uh, bold view to assume I can read a map. <laughs> right, right, right. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, I think um, uh, Pippin is um, really kind of um, like Gandalf doesn't need to have ever had kids because he's had Pippin. So um, you know that's really given him a lot of the experience. I think. Oh, the world are his children. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Who needs teenagers when you have Pippin? Yeah. Well, Pippin is a teenager. Yeah. Functionally, yeah. No, culturally, too. Yeah, no, that, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. He's uh, he's in his tweens, but uh, but yeah, he's uh, But still... I, I just mean it, it's, it's one of those, the more things change, the more they stay the same yeah. kind of deals. You know, this this passage is still relatable today from anyone who's had to talk to a teen about anything they didn't want to do. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yep. 
Okay, so let's see. We were gonna, I was going to head south. Um, I was going to loop down, looking at the map here, I was going to loop down by Foxton Heath because um, I, wanted, I wanted to see if we could cross some countryside. Uh, we spent all of our time in No Bottle looking, and it, we'll see if the architecture is similar. The main thing, of course, we were noticing last week was all the red bricks and thinking about what this suggests about the dates of this place, which I was suggesting were a while ago, but clearly after the rest of the Shire. Mm-hmm. Com- relatively recent. Um, but um, uh, but anyway, let's loop down south to Fox Den Heath and then up towards Tyfield um, and we'll we'll try to go clockwise around 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 our map here. And I think I'm happen to be pointed in just the right direction, so we'll just head south past that. Man, look, there's everybody like all these people outside too. This place is just it's hopping swarming with hobbits my goodness there are so many hobbits here like the population of the yondershire has to be higher than the population of the rest of the shire based on what we've seen farmer's market my goodness this place is mobbed every yard has like multiple hobbits standing out in it practically very nice am i still headed the right direction yes i am okay all right. Oh, hang on. So over here, what are we seeing over here? Is this the bridge? Are we looking right? Oh. This is um, this is where we came from, right? Okay, right. Yeah, this yeah. is where we came from. That's so there's back towards Needlehall. There's the first dwarf bridge, then down to the second one. Okay, I wanted to make sure to get my myself oriented here. This old this is looks like a Hobbit Stonewall fence, but much older, obviously, and partially abandoned. No, it continued. This looks like maybe something like the original Stonewall fence. Yeah, this is definitely one of those stone walls you get by just throwing the walls that you dug up digging your foundation. Oh yeah, absolutely. Pile. This is this is the kind of this is the kind of Stonewall fence we have all over New England. Um, my goodness, unbelievable number of rocks in the ground around here, and so Stonewall fences everywhere. As you've got to put them somewhere when you're trying to plow, especially. I can't even imagine trying to plow around here but anyway so yeah so kind of dig in my backyard that has like gravel under every inch of dirt there just turn shovel aside oh man yeah it's really hard um okay so let's see is this uh, we kind of came up the back side is this the place where we were before last time Mm -hmm. looks vaguely like it yeah i remember vaguely seeing this part here with the barn because i was looking at the plaster and everything with the bricks under look at the fun weather vane a dragon it's a a wyvern i think yeah it's well some kind of little winged dragon there i I think they had those in lindle bay too yeah interesting wait where is lindleby again that's in the anduin right yeah the hidden hobbit village right up in the northern parts of the anduin Mm-hmm. Right, Anduin Vale. Okay. All right. So. Okay, fields and streams and little rivers. Check, check, and check. Okay, this is Foxden Heath, down here. Mm-hmm. Um. I already saw a few foxes. Yeah. So. Which we're presumably thinking. Um. Now, if we head this way... How would we know, Corey? How would we know? I, I know. <laughs> we, head, we head back... 
w would we connect in through little delving if we kept going this way? Um, I believe. Okay, yes. let's just make let's just make the quick connection in my in my brain here, because little delving is where you start in as a new Hobbit character, right? That's the very first place you enter, as I recall. Yes. Uh, Grifflet is one of the only Hobbit characters I've made, and I created him a very, very long time ago, so my memory is a little short. But as I recall, Little Delving used to be a, a dead end. Uh, yeah, exactly, after the Brie, the Brie Wind intro. Um, it used to be a dead end, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, interesting, the little Stonewall Little Delving posts. had an interesting dead end, too. I was just looking at it, the one near the stable. Right, up past the... Like, you carry on the road up past the stable, past the... Yep. Uh, uh, the uh, cooking center and the and of course there's south farthing so there's still a lot of shire yes yes okay right we're moving down towards it here it, there's a lot of open country here i mean when you think about the i, I, I love the the way we're getting little leaves and and uh and fireflies in the yes okay right down here was this road always here no no, this is a new road. Okay, it wasn't just that the yeah. road went to nowhere. They made a new road. Okay. Yeah, this is... All right. I remember the waterfall. Okay. Yep. Yes. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Here we are. And the postman who gives us our first impossible quest. <laughs> yes. Oh, good times. Man, and I don't know that I've been back to Little Delving since I created Grifflet eight you years ago. You talked to Mundo Sackville Baggins? Maybe. Maybe I got sent back here after that, but that was before Griffith was being a completionist. So, um, yeah. anyway, um, much yeah, like the, with Archit, um, scenario, the developer went and did some terraforming. Right, mm -hmm. right. Connecting it to the rest of the terrain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Wow, that's really it's it's uh, it's really neat having uh, little delving be like a. I was about to say a real place on the map. It was always a real place on the map, but, but again, it was such a cul-de-sac, you know, which was like you started off there and then functionally never really went back. Um, and so that's, uh, it's cool to have this other. It's like getting the highway built next to your little town. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Neat to have, uh, to have this little connection here. Notice though, immediately. Oh, when coming up from that direction, how much more barren um, this stands up here, right? Um, we've got these old stone walls, um, mm -hmm. but um, which must just be from when they were making making and smoothing the road, yeah. uh, because there's no uh, there's not even farmland right here. We can of, see some off in the distance there, but a lot of gorse, a lot of heather, a lot of conifers, mm -hmm. just stuff that likes hard hard living areas. Right, because it's a heath. Now, normally, as I understand, a a heath uh, is normally a place which is like, um, like if there's a fire, like a wildfire, which kills off a whole, you know, which burns through a whole area. Um, a heath is what it will be thereafter. Like the, like the, the withered heath where the dragons live, um, they've made it a heath. Like it's a heath because there are dragons that live up there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, heath is uh, heath is normally a uh, as as I my understanding of the word heath is uh, and the history of the word heath is that it means um, like a it is a 
place of like former catastrophe of some sort or other, right? Oh, um, like a like a tree blight or something. Right, exactly. So like some so there's a that's why we're seeing I mean it's it's a heath that we're on. That's why we're seeing, as you say, just like the scrub and bushes and little uh is that like maybe there was trees, maybe there was scrub, but it, it all something happened and now it's all mm-hmm. you know, it's, growing back patchily here. It doesn't look desolate though. Like the purple heather just makes it kind of oh, it's, delightful. It's cute, right? And you, it's cute. I, I, if you've ever smelt like fields of heather before, you know this whole place is going to smell like tea. It's, it's going to, you know, it's it's, it's going to have its own sort of cheeriness. Right, right. Infertile yeah. acidic soil, low-growing woody vegetation. Yeah, that that holds to my my theory about uh, about uh, these plants liking harsher conditions. Right. Right. Yeah. And no, of course, and now we got all the extra water, so we got all these willows sucking up the water. Yeah, exactly. Look at this boundary, right? What's there on the yeah. left and what's there in the lushness of what's there Between on the right. Between land that can hold water and land that can't. Right. So. And of course, this also would seem to help explain the age difference, right? Like, why didn't this, you know, the Yondershire get fully settled at the same time, right, that um, the rest of the Shire did. Why is it younger, as it seems to be younger? Why is it... I mean, it's a little further away, but that by itself isn't quite enough to explain it, right? Um, Yeah. Especially if they're such community-minded people. Right, right. You build a community, you can survive anywhere. Right. Yeah, exactly. But also, I mean, also I'm just thinking, like, it doesn't... It seems like there's more of a gap then could be explained by there was gradual expansion, but it took a while before they got to this point, right? Well, um, just, just looking at the riverbed, like part of the land is too dry and the other part's too wet. Right, right. Man, this is a robust farm. We got yeah. cows, sheep, pigs, goats, geese, chickens, and many crops. This is a whole. Oh, wow. This is a whole deal right here. This is the, this is the oh, whole yeah. package. Do you have bees anywhere? I bet they Ooh, raise goat. bees. Hello, goat. Oh, and a nice big well. Oh, yeah. Can you jump in the well? Apple trees. Nope, can't jump in the well. I tried. Can't jump in the well. Oh, well. I'm, I'm willing to die for science. You're willing to die? <laughs> In game. Yeah, yeah. Um, <gasps> Geese. Oh, so yeah, geese. yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, I got suckered into that once, JJ too, att- attacking the chickens in Zelda. Oh yeah, yeah. Call off your links, sir. Yeah, exactly. My. Uh, they have uh, geese and chickens, but I never see ducks. That's true. Maybe they just don't dis- domesticate them. Maybe they don't. Maybe. Huh. I never noticed that, but you're right. Yeah. You're I, right. I didn't notice until I got ducks myself in my own my, my own farmland out here, but Right. Right. Yeah, but this is um uh this is clearly very lush farmland that we see here in Tyfield. But yeah, so so I have it I have a theory based on the map. Um, and our exploration of this evening combined with our exploration of two weeks ago. And that is um, both approaches 
that is up from Little Delving and up through Needlehole um, is uh, they're both of them through like really sort of desolate and forbidding zones of territory, right? There's mm-hmm. um, there's uh, there's the swamps, right? Needlehole, you know, is a was a te- but Needlehole has that big dwarf building in it, right? I mean, that mm-hmm. was a place where people went out of their way to like trade with the dwarves or whatever. Yeah, it was um, a waypoint, but you couldn't cultivate anything. Right, exactly. There was there were very few hobbits lived there, right? So, um, you know, so you can see how they would sort of be like, okay, you know, we'll go up there and we'll establish some buildings and stuff there to be able to trade with the dwarves or whatever. But we're not living, you know, why go beyond that swamp, right? And who anyway, who would want to live on the other side of the swamp separated by this big nasty swamp, right, with all these slugs in it, uh, you know, from the rest of the Shire? Similarly, that heath, that was bad, clearly bad farm country, right? No one was going to set up yeah. uh, their, you know, farming community in there. So once again, there was in both places a frontier that you had to cross in order to uh, in order to get over there. Now, Amorea, I'm immediately noticing the same thing. No brick, right? That's why I was kind of stopping and looking at this uh, yeah, it's vista plaster. here, right? That's plaster. That's right. Yeah. All plaster here, or maybe yeah. newer plaster. I wonder. Yeah, it's very just... white. It it, it's it, very it white. fairly glows with how clean it is. Yes. It, it looks like plaster covered brick, actually. Plaster covered prob- stone back here. Yeah. yeah Which I suspect here. to be no, true in Hobbiton as well. Right, like this, you can see, no this red like bricks here, just here. stone. Yeah. 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 Um, this looks much more like the rest of the Shire. So no bottle. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're seeing some differences there. It's, but yeah, as you said, there's like a, there's a pristine whiteness to the holes here, to the, to the smiles and the houses. We've got berries and pies and turkey. Oh man, we're all over it. This is a very rich yeah. community. Is there a is there a milestone around here? Uh, we milestone I just got the stable. Let me see. Yeah, I got the stable too. But you bring up an interesting point about the immigration. The idea of but the, but there's no point going beyond here. We're, these are people whose emigration speed is so slow that they forgot which direction they went in. <laughs> right, right. So it's entirely possible they just didn't feel like going past. I'm just kind of exploring the town now, looking to see if I can find a milestone. I don't know that there is one. It looks like the town center back there by the stable master is where I'd expect to find. Yeah, no, it looks like uh, it looks like the the young blood first generations out here are doing pretty good for themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a. How much you want to bet they're still considered the the weirdos and the and the queer folk for going out here in the first place? And when you look at this, yeah, no, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous, and 
Yeah. It looks, it's all in, it's much, it's less worn, right? There's another crowded exactly. pub here. Yeah, we'll have to go, we'll have to check out the pub. Next, well, we, we got a little bit of time. Where's the pub? Let's, let's go into the pub. Where'd it go? Was that the big building over there I was looking at? I think so, yeah. One of the... It's enormous. Right, yeah. Right, with the big picture of somebody drinking the elbows bend. Okay. Let's put one of them big, beefy arms on there. That's right. Big, beefy arm. Yeah. Holy cow. This place is... Goodness. Like hip deep in hobbitry right here. I mean, this is... we get here on live music night? Holy cow. This looks like a night that the players would be hosting a music event in the book. I know, I know. Yes, yes. I, I, I had to, I was worried about lag until I realized these are all NPCs. Right, and like, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. I, I would have, my my first thought would have been like, oh, am I interrupting a, like a concert or something? You know? It's... Yeah. Prancing Pony doesn't have this many people in it. No. And it's the more popular. Oh, oh. is it just me Although, or are their clothes fancier? Um, I mean, look at this guy. Look at this guy right here in the in the in I, the red, in the red yeah. like long red and gold coat and the stripy pants. Some of the you know the oh purple ascot over here. But yeah, I, I, once again, this just this just look tells at the embroidery on the dresses. Prosperity, le- yes, prosperity, yeah. leisure time, lots of money. It does feel like new money around here, doesn't it? So, yeah, it's like Colorado after the gold rush. <laughs> I've, I've meant historically, but yeah. Right, right. They're showing off their wealth because they can, as opposed to, you know, the, the, the old money back in Hobbiton and, and, and other stuff. They don't need to show it off. Yeah. Because they know they're good folk, I guess. I don't know. There's, there's definitely an air to, to mingle and impress and be impressed. Yeah, and all of the pubs are so busy. A They're going to need a higher social There's scene like two here. people behind the bar. Yeah, that's true. Make it self-serve night. Bring your own container. Look at the cups. I mean, there's mugs. Yeah. But look at the wine cups. It's kind that's of schmancy. It. It's like drinking yeah, out of a grill. That's not the cup of a carpenter. Depending on what's in it, did they choose poorly or wisely? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love exactly. how we immediately jumped on that. <laughs> exactly. I, I like the, the rope decoration around there. I wonder what that signifies. I wonder if this is where the, the famous rope making comes from. Tie fit. I would just yes. say turn on nameplates find yes. out the answer to the question. Yes. Ah. No, tie field is tie field is where is where Sam's uh, Yeah. That's where, where Sam's cousin had a had a had a had a rope walk. Yeah. Up, yeah, look at all the rope field. accents yeah. everywhere. Yeah. I'm sure we'll find some familiar names next Thursday. I, I think so. <laughs> I can't wait. I really can't wait. I'm so excited. I think so. And it's going to be fun. Okay. Party's all dancing in here. Not going to lie. Yeah. There's one NPC oh, when you run into night. them. It is live music night. I was right. <laughs> it is live music night? 
Yes. There you go. Usually means I get a chair on the patio, but you know, right. it's nice in here. Oh, in this room, right? Where everybody's yeah, dancing. Yeah, where everyone's jumping around. But you know, the NPCs all look pretty chill. There's this uh, a couple girls dancing here, mm -hmm. right? Maybe they all heard Bingo's storytelling about the girl, the the slippers. Maybe. Perhaps. <laughs> Melly Lot, uh, yeah. Melly Lot, Brandebuck, yeah. Interesting. Oh, so uh, Dol Doris Strook, uh, next Thursday, um, I'm going to be doing my traditional MythMoot live stream, uh, where I'll be live stream live streaming in front of a live audience at MythMoot. And when I do that, I'm going to take Grifflet through the Yondershire quest. Um, uh, so I'm going to do as many of the quests as I can um, uh, in Yondershire to try to follow the Yondershire story as far as I can. So um, I've, I've, I've never done it before. I've just been doing, you know, landscape exploration here the last two weeks has been my first exposure to the Yondershire. And now uh, equipped with the familiarity I've gained here in the last two weeks, we'll go back and look at the... Um, uh, look at the plot line. I could not help but notice or but overhear several of the NPCs um, uh, referring to Lotho. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern is the time that uh, that is supposed to be happening. So on Thursday of this coming week, and I will I'll stream that on the Signum Twitch channel and stuff. So in fact, I'll probably stream it everywhere because I can do that now. Um. Cool. All right. Well, we should stop. This is as is, is, uh, good a place as any and better than most uh, to uh, uh, to leave everyone uh, here in this jovial, well-dressed crowd. Um, uh, so, again, we're going to be we'll be off next week. We'll do Mythmoot, do the 9 p.m. Eastern stream uh, to explore the quest and the storyline here uh, in uh, um, in Yondershire. And then we'll be back the week after um, the last Tuesday of June um, for our regular session, and I should be, I believe, I will be here then those two two Tuesdays in a row uh, there, and then I'll be off again, doing some traveling off and on with my family this um, uh, this summer. So um, there'll be some other weeks I'll be missing, but we should be uh, we should be getting there. Um, yeah, it is pretty cool that they worked in the tie field rope reference. Uh, uh, Dora struck. I totally agree with you there. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Glad they glad they included it. It was one of there are, you know, comparatively few things that get referenced in the main, you know, like contemporary things, not just historical things, but contemporary things that get referenced in the like actual narrative of uh, of the Lord of the Rings that they haven't worked into the game. But that was one, and so now they've now they've covered it. So that's pretty cool. All right, um, yes, Brick Tales. There is Alice tomorrow. Uh, there's Alice tomorrow for sure. Uh, and uh, so I'll see you guys for uh, discussion of the Mad Tea Party tomorrow night um, and Other Minds and Hands tomorrow where I'm going to be able to um, I'm able to talk more about um, what the what we heard the showrunner say and what my response was to that. So we'll be talking about that a little bit and looking at more of the pictures that have been released from the Rings of Power show. So uh, lots going on here tomorrow. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us and have a good evening. Uh, see you guys. I see, see many of you at Mythmoot, I hope, and uh, the rest of you the week after. Bye now. Bye.